0: Hello, welcome to the podcast program In Community and Company, presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanize. The podcast program is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University. I'm your host, Eric Sloss. I'm here today with Jake Malofsky. He's the Director of Tree Care and Reforestation for Tree Pittsburgh. Hi, Jake. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, no problem at all.
0: So tell us a little bit about your background and how you found your way to Tree Pittsburgh.
1: All right. Uh, well, I grew up in Squirrel Hill, right over near Shenley Park. Um, went to Alderdice. Uh An undergrad, I studied environmental studies, came back to Pittsburgh, and wound up with a job at the Pittsburgh Parks Conservancy, um, which really kind of introduced me to what urban ecology, urban environmentalism looks like, um, and uh, really kind of gained a love for arbor culture, specifically, and the care of trees. So uh went back to school out in Washington State, then um, studied that kind of thing more closely and then came back and was lucky, lucky enough to get a job at Tree Pittsburgh at the time. Uh, that was back in 2011 as the uh, stewardship coordinator. So over time, the position has kind of developed um, to where I am today.
0: Well, the podcast program explores the idea of how communities galvanize, what sparks a community to act. And I'm wondering if you can maybe put in perspective how trees play a role in sparking a community act either positively or negatively
1: wow um yeah i mean trees are certainly something that can cause community galvanization and uh we could you know we could go into all kinds of different stories but just off the top of my head i think of instances like um i think around 10 years ago maybe more somewhere around there there was a a whole line of trees in squirrel hill i believe that um at the time the city determined were you know, past their mature age, um, they were all potential kind of hazards or past the, the risk marker um, for removal and decided to just remove them all in one fell swoop. Um, and these were big old trees that really defined this whole street. Um, and in doing so, in removing those trees, caused a really intense community outcry. Um, and I think went ahead and caused the, the city's tree removal policy to be updated with um, kind of an appeal process for trees. You know, so uh, I think that happened right as I was leaving Pittsburgh to go to grad school, but I remember hearing about it and thinking, wow, you know, that's some serious drama around tree removals and good for those folks. I don't think it saved the trees um, because, you know, probably they were, you know, accurately described as needing to come out at some point, but um, it shows you just kind of how important it is to to work with the public and and, have people understand what's going on with their trees.
0: You know, that's actually a really interesting point. You think about the aesthetic relationship that trees have to a community, right? And how a tree line could influence the look of a a streetscape. Um, But if they're not healthy, they need to be removed, right? So um, that's actually, that's interesting in terms of how you understand the science of trees, which I don't think the community in general knows the science of trees, it's got to be a challenging part for you to help people understand what types of trees are planted, whether they're healthy or not.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people's understanding of trees, like a lot of other things, kind of runs the full spectrum. But I I would say, yeah, in general, the the public um, doesn't have a great understanding of the the science of trees. But, um, you know, I would say, honestly, people don't even really necessarily notice trees. You know, I think a lot of times trees just blend into the background like they're... uh, Stop sign or a, a telephone pole, um, and people just don't realize that they're standing there cleaning air, uh, taking up stormwater, giving houses to squirrels and birds, um, providing us with oxygen, you know, doing all these different things, looking pretty in the fall, providing fruit and food and nuts. Um, they're just there doing all these things for us, giving us what we call ecosystem services that most people just walk right by and they, you know, if you know, if they do notice the trees, it's because they're mad that uh, they have to rake leaves or a bird crapped on their car. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I personally can never tell the difference between trees. I'm just starting to learn about them. Um, but there is, there are trees that are invasive to our population. How does that play a role in terms of how you communicate, you know, a, a lay person's idea of planting a tree? How do you talk about that? How do you communicate to the community that there are trees that are invasive?
1: That's a good question. Um, So, you know, the the city of Pittsburgh does have, and many other municipalities have, um, a, a preferred planting list. So when people say, hey, I'd like to plant a tree in front of my house, you know, what should I choose? I usually just direct them to that website. And I say, there's a whole list. They break it down by what trees would go well for um, being placed underneath power lines, for example, and what trees would do better or what you could plant with room to grow, not underneath power lines. Um, And then that list has been curated to remove invasive trees, um, you know, trees that are known to cause kind of a mess for people to have to walk in um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, and, you know, if people want to get further into why not planting invasive trees, I can start, getting into the ecology and all that stuff but um
0: well I um I have a beautiful maple tree a Norway maple tree in front of my yard and um an arborist friend of mine came over and the roots are coming out of the ground but the thing is magnificent it's it's spectacular it's beautiful it breaks off in the middle and it's just ripe for a perfect um a treehouse. and he had said to me um, you know, don't, don't, get, don't remove it. It's just too beautiful. But he said it's invasive. I would usually tell people to remove it. So I guess there's this challenge maybe even for you is like, what is aesthetically pleasing versus invasive? Um, in all cases, are you advocating for removing invasive trees or how does that play in terms of advocacy work and making sure that the, the, the treescapes are healthy? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. That's a really nuanced issue, and, uh, and it takes a good understanding of, you know, what makes it invasive, um, a variety of things to make the right decision. And, you know, like in the case of your tree, for example, you know, that tree might be shading your whole house and reducing your energy costs by, you know, reducing your air conditioning costs. Um, it might be where you have your hammock hung. So it has a lot of value for you. Um, and, you know, what makes that tree invasive is the fact that it's going to drop seeds that are going to spread and grow other Norway maples that are outcompete other trees so if you if your house was next to say frick park or like a really kind of a natural area that could be impacted i'd say you know that tree's doing more invasive harm but if you live in a neighborhood where everybody's pulling weeds and and everything else and that tree it's not going to spread and be invasive it's just going to you know all it's really doing is giving benefits to you now you if you look at say like highland park for example or shenley park come to mind as examples Back in the early 1900s, they planted Norway maples all throughout those parks because, you know, they were seen as really strong, good landscape trees. Um, and if you look at the woods today, all that's growing in the understory is, and, is, and the sort of younger generation of trees are Norway, Norway maples, nothing else. There's some old oak trees. Um, maybe one or two or something else, but it's really just all Norway maple because those original Norway maples that they planted back in the early 20th century spread and didn't allow anything else to grow. So you've got these forests that are like 99% one species. So, you know, that's those are the kind of consequences that happen with invasive species, and had they known that that was going to happen back then, they probably wouldn't have planted it. Just like, you know, if you were going to plant a tree today, you wouldn't plant an invasive tree. But, um, yeah, so it... You know, and there are still a lot of invasive trees on the market that people are still planting, and it, it really just takes education, again, you know, if you wanted to plant an invasive tree because you absolutely love it, and it's not going to have a whole lot of ecological harm around your house, it's like, mm, okay, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of other benefits.
0: Yeah, I guess how do how do invasive trees make their way into, um, you know, into a city like Pittsburgh?
1: Well, uh, most invasive plants and trees you know in addition um have come in through the commercial marketplace so you mentioned norway maple um that that is a a landscape tree that's been planted a lot um for you know decades um but a lot of you know a lot of invasive plants came over um because they were seen as good for something whether they uh you know, help control erosion, as it was thought, with the Japanese knotweed, which isn't a tree, but it's another invasive plant. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a lot of people just brought them in because they thought they were nice. For some reason, they had nice leaves or flowers or something, and uh, and they um, just spread after they were planted that way.
0: I see. And I'm wondering, you know, you look at a, a place like where you grew up in Squirrel Hill or Highland Park or, you, you know, the Hill District or Homewood. You know, how do those relationships play out when there's like a city tree on the sidewalk? You know, who's who owns those trees? You know, um, what's their responsibility for taking care of them?
1: Well, it, it really varies from municipality to municipality. We can talk about Pittsburgh in this case, um, where the trees along the right-of-way or along the sidewalk are owned by the city. Um, They're the responsibility of the city. Uh, So when it comes to pruning or um, cutting them down if they're dead or hazardous, that's all in the city. Now, if a homeowner or a property owner uh, takes ownership of that tree because they like that tree, and they decide to weed around it, you know, and water it, mulch it. Those are all really great things, uh, but ultimately, yeah, it's up to the city.
0: Mm, I see. And then, you, you know, if you needed to remove a tree, um, how does that how does that play out on your own property?
1: On your own pro- private property, uh, it really just takes a call to a private arbor company, arborist company. Um, there are a lot of them out there. You know, you can find good ones. Uh, via the International Society of Arboriculture's website. Uh, That's the ISA. They list um, all the qualified arborists in your area. Uh, But if you call up one of those companies, they'll come out, have a look, um, let you know what they think. Hopefully, they're the kind of arborist who, if they don't think it needs to be removed, they might give you some other advice, and they're not just trying to take your money and do the most expensive thing, which is usually removing it. Um, But, yeah, that's how you'd go about it.
0: So what's the state of tree canopy here in Pittsburgh?
1: Well, uh, the state is currently, its well, it's declining, um, and uh, maybe just to define tree canopy a little bit, because I think a lot of people might not necessarily know what that means. It's basically when you're flying over the city like a bird, if you were to look down all the ground area that's covered by trees, is that's the tree canopy, and we measure it in acreage, um, and we've uh, been able to measure it over time through two separate studies we did, one in 2010 another in 2015, where we used aerial photographs and imagery like LIDAR, uh, which is an acronym it stands for laser imaging and some other things. But it's a, high, it's a high-tech way of uh, looking down from a plane and detecting where trees are and how tall they are. And we were able to see that over that five-year period, uh, Pittsburgh, or Allegheny County, I should say, lost about 11,000 total acres of tree canopy, Wow, uh, which, is, which is a whole lot. Um, and so, you know, we've been planting a lot of trees and in the meantime, trying to make up for that. But the reality is it takes a lot longer for a tree to grow than to cut one down. So, um, so yeah, but it's interesting data uh, that's really taught us a lot about uh, the work we're doing and helped guide us into the work that we want to do in the future.
0: What do you do as a nonprofit organization advocating for trees? You know, what is that community engagement piece of it? How, how active are you in the community? How do you gain trust? What is that system and and process like
1: well you know there's a a variety of ways we do that um one is that we we're a recent this is kind of where my department tree care and reforestation really comes in we're a resource for people in pittsburgh and surrounding municipalities to help take care of their community trees so if a community uh works with the tree vitalize program to plant say a dozen trees on a couple streets in their neighborhood they can call us up and schedule uh, either a a mulching party or a pruning workshop and then we come out with our staff um, you know staff experts trucks mulch tools all the stuff they need to give their trees a really nice uh, you know weeding and mulching or pruning Um, so we're you know we're out there on the ground working with neighbors and community members taking care of community trees and I think that's certainly one way we you know we kind of get involved and and build trust and relationships Um, but you know so much more of tree advocacy comes in the form of um you know political stuff or like you know uh policy uh implications so we you know we have staff who work with shade tree commissions to do trainings and kind of teach people how to write uh tree policy or how to advocate for trees better so uh there's a variety you know there's a variety of ways um, that we try to empower communities to have more healthy tree tree canopy you know we have an education department that goes into schools teaches kids so they like trees from the get-go you know a lot of different ways
0: i've been invited to a lot of parties and different parties of all types but a mulching party is not one that i've ever been to um and and those two words i don't think usually go together tell me what happens at a mulching party
1: yeah you know we came up with that because uh I always joke, like, uh, you know, everybody wants to plant trees. That's the kind of sexy part of trees. Um, but nobody ever really wants to maintain them. You know, you, you plant a tree and you feel good and you go home and that's great. But six months later when it's all weedy and there's litter in it, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to get people to come out and, and do that stuff. Um, so we decided, hey, let's call it a mulching party. We'll make it fun. We'll make it a good atmosphere, we'll get people excited, and we'll come out and do it. But, yeah, it's really just uh, pulling weeds, picking up trash, um, and mulch, you know, um, but you know, they are a good time. Like one of the things I like best about working with volunteers is everybody's there, they're voluntarily, you know, they're, they're there because they want to be there. Um, and generally people are in a pretty good mood and it's always a good time. So, you know, we do try to have fun and make it a bit of a party atmosphere and every community is different. Sometimes people have wine and cheese afterwards. Other times people just have pizza and ice cream. Um, but uh, you know, we, we try to make it fun. That's where the mulching party idea came from. Okay,
0: that's what I was waiting for. The 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 food and the and the drink, the celebration. So so there is some party atmosphere too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And we you know, we give a lot of latitude and we encourage the community partners to take ownership of the the way that the event goes. Like we're there to kind of provide the skeleton of tree care and tools and expertise, but You know, how you recruit people, what you do before or afterwards and everything is really up to the community. So each community kind of builds it into their own thing. You know, sometimes you go to someone's house. Other times there's a bar that sponsors it or whatever. Yeah, I
0: guess how do you find that person who's really passionate about trees and who can be an advocate is probably a big challenge for you as a nonprofit organization. And from an advocacy uh, in terms of getting into the community and engaging with the community, um, how do you find those people with social capital?
1: Yeah, you know they're they are they're tough to find sometimes, um, and a lot of times they're tough to keep. Um, but those individuals who who really understand how to communicate and use social media and organize people, you know, they are really rock stars in the community. And there's a couple of them out there who I can think of right now who've who've really been going at it for a couple you know years, and they're just amazing because um, they stick with it, and their talents are so unique. And you really see that in a pool of thousands of volunteers that we have. There's like less than a dozen that really stand out who have those skills. Or a lot of people might have those skills, but they don't have the willingness to to use their time that way. So, yeah, I mean, finding those people is tough. Um, and not every community has them uh, who are willing, again, who are, who are willing to put the time in. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just those advocacy efforts that are made to, to reaching out. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I always kind of say we're like a little bit of a squeaky wheel gets through grease kind of operation because if a community wants, um, us to come out and work with them, they'll call us and we'll do it. But if a community, if we don't hear from a community, a lot of times we won't make it out there. So one of the ways we're trying to grow, um, as an organization is to build up our outreach efforts so that we can identify communities that have trees haven't been having you know participation and need it and then reach out to them and work with them because you know if a community doesn't have that person uh, who's willing to do it voluntarily we should be able to come in and do it you know as part of our job Um, but uh, you know we're always trying to find those people to recruit them to encourage them you know we have a volunteer of the year award every year that goes out to some stellar volunteer and we really publicize that Um, but those people are extremely valuable.
0: You touched on the policy uh, challenges that are happening. What are some of the uh, challenges that you see in the near future from from a policy and advocacy side? Uh, what are the requirements for... You said that if you have a tree in your backyard, you can just call an arborist and cut it down. Uh, what are those requirements? And if, if you could dream up a policy solution, what would it be?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the, I think one of the biggest areas in terms of policy with trees is protections, um, because trees have very, very few protections from say development, um, or just being cut down. Um, and I don't want to get any of like the private property rights advocates mad at me because, you know, you should, you know, perhaps be able to do whatever you want on your own private property. But there are places where whether a tree is on your own property or not, if it's over a certain size or if it has a certain, um, you know, if it, yeah, over a certain size, that it, it may be that you need a special permit to cut it down. And that's to protect a, a community's urban forest um, as a whole, not just the portions of it that are on public property. So tree protections um, on private property is one way uh, that I could see that it would be helpful. Um, and then tree protection with regard to development, so on commercial property, industrial property, other public property, um it's it's pretty easy for a developer to come in and just level you know all the trees on a, on a site with very few uh, consequences sometimes they might have to pay to replace the caliper inches so for example if you have to cut down a thirty inch oak tree um you might have to replant tw- uh, 15 fifteen two-inch oak trees to replace that original thirty inches but we know that you know the benefits associated with Fifteen smaller trees are n- nowhere near those benefits associated with that bigger tree. So, uh, you know, f- finding ways to kind of equally um, replace trees or do more to you know ensure those trees survive after they're replaced. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of angles on that, um, and uh, it would just be it would be great to see those increased.
0: So, how what is a solution to replace a thirty-inch tree?
1: Well. <laughs> I mean, honestly, not cutting it down in the first place. You know, uh, if if more people on the ground floor, so to speak, of the design process were tree advocates, uh, hope you know, you would think that it would be possible to design a building or a landscape or whatever around that tree. Um, and uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of times the people on the ground floor in the design process uh, either don't know or don't care about trees, and it'd be in their minds it's easier to work from a clean slate. So they're they're happy to cut them all down. Um, but again, if there were tree protections in place and they knew that they had to absolutely protect trees or do whatever they could to protect it, um, or they knew that there were going to be more consequences to cutting trees like that down, then perhaps they would bring in somebody else on the ground floor process.
0: If you had the resources that you needed. At your fingertips, what um, what would you change about trees and communities here in Pittsburgh?
1: Um, you know, I think the if I had the resources at my fingertips, I, probably just funding the city of Pittsburgh Forestry Department um, in a way more um, to to get all of the trees to the point of maintenance where. They are truly assets and not liabilities, because frankly, when you have a lot of trees and they're not being maintained, they can become liabilities um, but if you're maintaining them, you're pruning them you're you're looking after them, you're inspecting them, then they really become assets that are valuable and are just purely providing uh, benefits to the community and and that's possible, you know lots of other cities get there um so I think that's one thing but I wouldn't want to fund the forestry department, or for example, such that volunteers were no longer needed. um, Because I think there's something really valuable about having the community involved. Uh, You know, if we we could have contractors come out and plant all of our trees, fine. But there's something really special about families coming out and planting the tree in front of their house. Um, You know, people working with us at Tree Pittsburgh to do pruning workshops, where I always tell people, this is your opportunity to physically sculpt the urban forest around you Um, you know so there's a lot of value in that and so I wouldn't want to skimp on funding whatever it is that makes community um, uh, possible you know around urban forestry
0: yeah you know I think there's an education piece too I keep going back to it just based on my lack of knowledge of trees and their health of them how to maintain them the types of uh, the types of trees and you wonder Just adding uh, educational value to that piece, that resource piece, that volunteer piece, would only raise awareness of the importance of trees, but how to take care of them and maintain them.
1: Yeah, certainly. And that's why uh, we place such a high emphasis on education at Tree Pittsburgh. Um, You know, we educate people all the way from school, children, up to, you know, folks in retirement communities uh, about, about trees. And sometimes it's the same lessons, how to identify a tree uh but uh but yeah providing as much uh education as we can get out there and that, that there's demand for is um it's something that's really important to us.
0: Jake this was such a great conversation. Thank you. How do how do you get a hold of uh Tree Pittsburgh if you want to volunteer or if you have any questions about trees in your backyard?
1: Yeah, certainly uh, our website www.treepittsburgh.org is a great place to start. um you know, there's, uh, you can always email our info at account or call us up. You know, a lot of times we're just sitting there working on a spreadsheet about trees and uh, happy to get a phone call from somebody wondering about a tree in their backyard. Um, and if we don't know the answer or, you know, we're happy to refer you on to a private arborist or somebody else too.
0: This is great, Jake. Thank you so much. Thank you. In Community and Company is a podcast program produced by the Community Engagement Program at Portland Park University like to say thank you to executive producer, Dr. Heather Star fiedler and studio production by Tyler Polk. It is recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University.